your show our show it's here it's here introducing hello and welcome to we need to talk this is valerie traoré i am your host we need to talk your one stop radio show on african culture politics fashion sex travel technology activism development and money and their impact on africans living in africa your one stop radio show on african culture we need to talk every first friday 7 pm to 8 pm and a rebroadcast that sunday from 6:30 pm to 7:30 pm on west africa democracy radio We need to talk. We need to talk. Now closer to you. Oh yes. You can now listen to We Need to Talk with Valerie. Have you been listening to us in Liberia on Alternative Youth Radio 98.9 FM. In the Gambia, it is Hot FM 104.3. In Nigeria, on Aso FM Abuja 93.5 FM. In Ghana, in Ghana, Focus FM. 94.3 Kumasi and in Sierra Leone African Young Voices 101.6 FM in your home in your car or sitting on the bench at the market wherever you're listening to this hi nice to meet you we need to talk with Valerie join the conversation amazing topics and just what you need to hear Africa it's time to speak Welcome to We Need to Talk. I'm your host Valerie Traoré, and this is the show where we talk about all things African, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And today we will definitely be talking about the ugly. You can always listen to us in Ghana on Focus FM, Liberia Alternative Youth Radio in the Gambia. It is Hot FM in Sierra Leone, African Young Voices, Nigeria, Aso Radio. And if you want to get into the conversation, do send me a message on plus two two one seven six two zero one fifty one eighty. The ugly. This show was actually supposed to be about another topic, but something happened about two weeks ago that got me so enraged, sad, and honestly, just made me want to break things. And then we talked amongst ourselves and decided that this was going to be the topic of the show. We have a great show today. We are going to talk with people who have expertise, but also people who are passionate and who hopefully will set us on a different trend about how we behave around the continent. We are talking about sexual abuse. We're talking about sexual abuse, but especially sexual abuse on children because as much as this is something that has been happening for ever, it is something that we as Africans don't often talk about in public places. Two weeks ago, I got a call from my colleague Hussein around 9:30 at night to tell me that his housekeeper's nine-year-old daughter had just been raped. And at the time, he was at the hospital with the family and didn't know who to call because the hospital was sending them back to the police and forth. And as they came back to the police, uh, to the hospital, the doctor had left, knowing what was in front of him. This entire story, despite, in addition, I would say to. the horrific violation of this child in so many ways uh, starting with with brutal physical and destroying pretty much this girl's emotional life for for the rest of time that family continued throughout the night and for days and days to deal with the indignity after indignity from 
hospital to hospital to being treated fairly by the police station to her family the mother's family trying to hide it and trying to protect the perpetrator to finally get us to question what is the entire system that people have to go through just to get justice and to show a child that we are there for her and or him and that we're there to protect her like i said earlier these are not uh, new issues. Uh, everyone has a story or knows a child who has been assaulted. Some of you listening to this show today might even be protecting perpetrators. So listeners, how do we break the cycle? How do we make sure that the system is actually protecting victims and in this particular case, children and not the perpetrators? To help with this topic today, I'm joined, as I said, by a co-host uh, and a dear friend, uh, Karim, Karim Dia. Karim Dia is a consultant on a very many things uh, from IT to development. But one of the reasons he's here today was not just on his professional side or even as a friend, was because uh, Karim worked for years as a prison officer in a prison that held uh, sexual offenders. So his take on it today would be fascinating in terms of just even being able to understand the mindset of people that do these things and that family tends to think we have to protect them. I am so happy you're here. Welcome, Karim. It's so great to have you. Thank you. Uh, the other guest that we'll have today is Lolo Cynthia. Some of you listening to you from Niger might know her as the woman behind the social media presence, Lolo Talks. Lolo is an expert, uh, an activist. She works a lot in comprehensive sexual education. But before we jump in, I want to ask uh, Karim, before I call her, this is something that I ask all of my guests. Karim, what are you in service of? What many things matters to me, uh, particularly uh, dislike and fairness. And uh, I just happened to have an experience working in a, in a prison in the UK back uh, a few years ago. And I happened to work uh, in what we call the VPU, the Vulnerable Prison Unit, that actually holds uh, sex offenders. And uh, I've always been fasc uh, fascinated by the prison world. And it was quite an experience for me. And in the emotional side of, of, of things, uh, it's something that has actually affected me somehow. I got past it, obviously, because it's been, you know, a few years back. But at the time, I remember having uh, having a, a child, a baby child, and as some, I used to go to work and come back and hold my child, and I used to find myself a bit funny, a bit strange about you know what people, how people actually consider children, because I, I used to work with uh, pedophiles, rapists, but especially pedophiles. They really made me feel a bit weird about how how I felt dealing with my with, with my child at the time. That's amazing. It's it's this this world that you don't necessarily think affects you personally. It's, yeah, it it's did. not just a job because you have to live and, and spend time with with uh, these perpetrators every day and then come home and be in your normal life, but your normal life is affected. Of course, of course. And uh, and it's, it's, it's actually affected, obviously, because you sort of get a bit paranoid about how children look at your child and you, you, you're very wary of what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. This is uh, interesting, and I, I want to use this opportunity to call on to Binta for the Wahalas because 
you, you become paranoid and somehow when you start looking at the numbers, we have to tell ourselves it is so much bigger than we like to say. Maybe we should be paranoid. Paranoid not in the sense that it stops us from living, but paranoid in the sense that we have to do something because we cannot just continue to close our eyes and at all levels of the thing. So before we continue this conversation, let's uh, bring in Binta for all the Wahalas so that she can set the scene and set the stage for all of our listeners and ourselves today about how much of an issue this is today. Hi, Binta. Hi, Val. Welcome back to all the Wahalas on We Need to Talk. So we were just talking with Kareem about all of the fear or the the, the worry that as a young parent or as others are having around these perpetrators. And we wanted to hear all the Wahalas around the numbers surrounding sexual assault, especially of children. What you got for us? Well, and I know that we usually do this segment at the end of the show, but, you know, I think this whole entire topic is its own Wahala. And deserve to be moved to the top of the show. Absolutely. So, you know, like you said, you guys are going to go through some anecdotes and lived experiences. So I wanted to hit you guys with some hard facts. Um, So we know, I don't know if you know this actually, South Africa has one of the highest rates of rape in the world. Up to 40% of women claim to experience sexual assault at some point in their life. And a recent study by the Tears Foundation in South Africa said that up to 50% of children will experience sexual assault at some point in their life. Five zero percent. Oh my God. Five zero, I know. In Ghana, 30% of uh, respondents to a particular survey said that they did not consent to their first sexual experience. So this is below the age of 18. Which 30%. is rape. Which is rape. I mean, not consenting yeah. is, is simply that. So we're calling mm-hmm. it something nicer and, and sugarcoating it, but it is rape. Mm-hmm. To the same question, um, 23% in Uganda, so no lower. Um, In Nigeria, 24.8% of respondents to a survey experienced sexual assault before the age of 18. The same is um, for the same in Swaziland, 33.2%. So these are all very high numbers. Absolutely. I mean, this this just says, as Karim was saying earlier, how do you not become paranoid? Because when you know that Mm -hmm. one in four, one in three, and in some cases, one in two children will be assaulted by the time they, they, they reach 18. That is a scary number. Mm-hmm. I like that you bring up paranoia because in Tanzania, 92.4% of sexual assault victims know their perpetrators. Of course. Of course. 92.4% know the people that are assaulting them. It's oftentimes people in the family, people in the neighborhood, and that will get us to the conversation about how and why these people are protected mm-hmm. and they're exactly. the ones that have to continue to live with these perpetrators around them and see them every day and grow up with them. Mm-hmm. It's an uncle. It's a brother. It's a father. It's the best friend of a friend. Wow. Um, and for my last statistic, my beloved Sierra Leone, 98% of sexual assault victims are below the age of 17. That means 98% of the rapes and assaults in Sierra Leone are all done, for the most part, to children. But 98% is 100%. I mean, I, I don't That's 100%, know. That's 100%, exactly. Let, let's not it's, a, it's a negligible. It, it's a negligible. So then, hence, you get back to, again, what Kareem was saying earlier, you can't escape this paranoia. But yet, mm-hmm. we're not doing something about it. When we look at the, the Liberia example... One of the things that I was seeing in uh, some of the people that are online that are participating in the protests right now in Liberia is to some extent, even the anger that they're receiving. Like some people are just mad that we're 
talking about this. Some people are just mad that somehow it is highlighting something that they don't feel comfortable with. I wonder what's in the mindset. What is, uh, Karim, can you say something uh, to the extent of, of either why you think families are protecting or some of these perpetrators? What what do we need to know about them from your lived experience? What, you know, are there things that, are there patterns that you see? Are there... Um, behavior that you have seen that you think we need to pay attention to and to be able to eradicate that from my entire society, not just looking at it as a one-time event thing? Well, it's very difficult to say. When we talk about uh, sex offenders, uh, we need to understand that sex offenders uh, could be uh, people who engage in, in, in wrongful relationships with adults, uh, meaning raping them or sexually assaulting them. You have pedophiles. There's a whole range of sex offenders. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole range of sex offenses as such. When it comes to pedophiles, it's extremely difficult. The reason why I say it's extremely difficult is extremely difficult because they tend to be very manipulative. Mm. You know, obviously they know that they're not doing right. And uh, usually, obviously, uh, when we say pedophiles, they're adults uh, engaging in relationship with children. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a whole sense of manipulation that goes around it. And when you look at statistics, obviously... Most uh, perpetrator uh, actually, uh, as you said, most victim know actually their 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 perpetrator, and the reason being is because they pick them within the family uh, when they engage in a very very manipulative uh, approach, etc. Mm-hmm. etc. Et and it's very difficult for such crime to actually come out. Yeah. Uh, and and obviously it makes things even more difficult to actually talk about it yeah. and usually speaking you know the family feel ashamed about it etc etc it's, it's a very awkward situation it's an awkward situation and you know some people tend to to we always say they're sick right these are people who are completely sick these are people who um are not normal and we may have a tendency to even, I don't know if, the, there, there's two parts to it. There's a part where families, and in the, the case I told earlier, the, the story that sparked this conversation, you have the family that is saying, he can't do this. This is not, not believing the girl, okay? Because we think he's too normal, and I put that in quotes for him to have done that. You have that category. And then you have the other category of people that say, no, they're sick. They're particular people. Not everybody is like that. You have to be sick. Both of those are problematic because in the one instance, and I don't know if Binta, if you have any of the anecdotes or numbers there, in the one instance, you can't say he can't because he did. And if he did, he'll probably do it again if he gets access to it, right? Of course. And then on the other hand, we can't say they're isolated incidents because it's this one-time deal or this sick person when you look at countries where it's 50%. So that's not, unless you have a whole country where 50% are sick. That is another case. So the numbers saying these are not isolated incidents. And the numbers also say these are not people that do it once and then stop. It, in, in your experience with the sex offenders that you have seen or interacted with, do you think most of the time it's a one-time thing? I wouldn't say it's a one more, uh, one, one-time thing. So, uh, usually speaking, it's way more than one time, obviously. And as I said, uh, when it comes to collecting data, it's very, very, extremely difficult because people don't tend to speak out. They actually pick their victim and their victim go to the extent of uh, they feel guilty about what is happening and they feel ashamed of it. Yeah. Or they are made to feel that it's, it, it's natural and they shouldn't talk about it. It's something secret, etc., etc. There's a whole manipulation that goes around abusing a child. 
and that makes it even more scary. One of the things that uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Lolo about is really how do you talk to your children about being able to speak? Because like you said, it becomes a secretive thing. And the numbers that we have, what's, of course, this is saying that the number that we have are probably lower than the reality. Much because lower. if people are not speaking, if people are not talking about it, Binta, those statistics, those were reported cases, right? Those were when people were speaking out, but that doesn't necessarily represent the true reality. Exactly. A lot of the data that I found, there was a, lo- there was a caveat for a lot of the information saying that these are underreported figures. And in some cases, they think that they're underreported by tenfold sometimes. Whoa. Which, exactly. These are already very high numbers. So if we're calling into question the actual that they could be higher, you know, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And the, the, the other aspect of it, and I, I do want to also call out, like I, I was so upset in this story because when you look at uh, what Hussein had told me is when they went to the hospital, one of the doctors said that he didn't want to get his hands dirty by taking care of the child. So already you have a mother who is trying to report, who's trying to go through the process, and the process makes it so difficult. The system makes it so difficult for somebody who already does have the courage to go through with it. So again, at what point are we even talking about the reported cases, right? There, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of fight. It takes a lot of grit. And it takes a lot of facing one's shame and the risk mm-hmm. that this woman had and saw that her family was trying to hush it down. And then to go to the police. And I'm also mindful of the fact that in this particular case, which we follow through the end, if they didn't have somebody with them to walk with them from hospital to hospital that night and the next day, if they didn't have somebody with them to actually go to the police, if we didn't know somebody who could call the police officer and say, these are coming, pay attention to them, this story would have ended up with this poor woman just being tired of it and maybe going home. And there are so many cases that people actually want to do something but don't have the tools. So the one thing that I will call on us is how much do we even report when we see something that's not normal, right? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen sometimes you see, we don't necessarily have the space to report it. And did you mm-hmm. see, Binta, in, in, all of your, in, in all of your research in all the Wahala, that all of our countries here had spaces, had contacts, had numbers. What do you do when you see something that uh, you see is not normal? It doesn't have to come from the child themselves, but sometimes you can see something is not right. Are there spaces around uh, the continent in some of the countries that you've listed that can actually take care of that and follow through a case all the way to the end? Yeah, of course. There are you know, different NGOs and different government uh, bodies that do help children, and there are places that you can go. I think the problem is that they're not sometimes easy to find. You know, if you have to do an internet search, you know, do you have access to the technology, the electricity? So I don't know that it's necessarily made easy, but the resources are there. Mm-hmm. And the, the call now to everybody who's listening, if you see something reported, 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 it may not turn into something, but at least we're giving the space for the police to do their job and to start. Because again, we see these numbers, but yet when you have conversation, it's as if we're inflating them, but the facts are there. And we know that these are underreported numbers. Wow. Well, thank you, Binta, for that. I mean, we started the show saying this was going to be part of the ugly things that we need to talk about. And definitely those numbers are sobering. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully this is a, a call and we'll continue to, on the one hand, do something. You see something, do something. Find out. It, because a person who might be living through it may not have the resources, as you said, to do something themselves. So what is our responsibility uh, to stand there and hopefully protect the the life and the the mental health, the physical 
uh, health and, and integrity uh, of a child or of an adult. Thank you so much. Exactly. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. This is Mimi Kalinda, Senegal, Liberia, Ghana, Nigeria, the Gambia, Sierra Leone. Stand up and tune in to my girl, Valérie Traoré, on her show, We Need to Talk. Much needed, on time, relevant, compelling, uh, and absolutely the time where we need to address some of these topics that she's addressing on her show. Tune in, do not miss it. We need to talk. We need to talk. Now closer to you. Oh, yes. You can now listen to We Need to Talk with Valerie. Have you been listening to us? In Liberia on Alternative Youth Radio, 98.9 FM. In the Gambia. It is Hot FM, 104.3. In Nigeria on Aso FM, Abuja, 93.5 FM. In Ghana. In Ghana. Focus FM. 94.3 Kumasi and in Sierra Leone African Young Voices 101.6 FM in your home in your car or sitting on the bench at the market wherever you're listening to this hi nice to meet you we need to talk with Valerie join your conversation amazing topics and just what you need to hear Africa it's time to speak Well, now we're going to go to speak to Lolo Cynthia, and uh, I'm really excited to have her on the show. As I introduced her earlier, she is a social media personality, but beyond that, she is an activist, she's a fighter, she is a sexual reproductive health rights educator, and a lot of things under her belt. And uh, uh, Karim and I are really, really happy to welcome you on this conversation. Lolo, hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Can we, one of the reasons I really was excited about having you on the show is recently you posted, you did a, a, a post on social media about teaching or having a conversation with your children. First of all, what, yeah. what drove you? What made you think about doing that? And then what were the reactions? Mm, okay, um, that post was very interesting because I did not even assume I did not think that I would get that much reaction. It was the post that I had done in 2018. I put it up in a video and as an article. But during the time of COVID, that was when it was still very heavy. There were tons of you know sexual abuse cases that were online. And I think everyone sort of went into a negative spiral because they felt helpless. You know, there was nothing they could do. And I remembered, um, you know, I have this article on you know teaching children sex ed and consent in a way that is applicable to every single person whether you're a liberal conservative whether you're afraid of talking about sex it's easy simple steps so when i put that up online it resonated with people i believe because now that was an opportunity for them to take action they cannot just come online and see all this news and feel like you no know, their children might be next so that was what happened during that time i think that's why it got lots of, of um feedback and i think one of one reason as well was the fact that, you know, when people talk about issues around sex, people are afraid, people are shy. It's not a simple or normal conversation. But they want to talk to their children about sex again. I'm t- teaching you, like, on how to talk to your kids about consent without even having to mention the word sex. Um, a lot of people resonate with that because now this is something, like I said, any single person, regardless of your own beliefs, regardless of how shy you are, you can take up the handle and do something. Yeah. That's amazing. What what were some of the numbers that you got in terms of impressions from just that post? 
Twitter alone, my goodness, I think it was like 22 million impressions. Wow. It was insane. And this happened in like three three days of 24 hours. Yeah. Which, it was just, it was insane. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> that is crazy. And that speaks to some of the numbers that we're talking about earlier. There is so much abuse and mm -hmm. there is so much uh, sexual offense on children. It's something that we have a strange relationship with, a strange relationship with having this conversation. But as Karim, you were saying earlier, this paranoia that parents have, because you're somewhat aware that it exists. You're aware that mm -hmm. your children may be at risk, your little sisters, your little brothers may be at risk, but you don't know what to do. So earlier, we spent time talking about as somebody who sees something that's happening, that you have to report it, you have to make sure that we're all responsible for protecting the child. But there's also part of what you're doing, which is prevention. So can you walk us through some of those steps that you are proposing that parents uh, or just concerned adults can have uh, with their children without mentioning the word sex? Um, yes. The first one, which are many points, but I can just raise one or two. The first one is teaching your children how to say no. And I think this is something that resonates even with adults, especially in an African setting where you always have to respect your elders. You know, if you dis if you say no, it feels like you're being disrespectful. But what we don't know is that it conditions children to see adults as people who they have to obey. So even if they're being, uh, even if their boundaries are being infringed, even if they're doing something to them that they genuinely do not like, they feel numb. They are unable to say no. They are unable to report because they believe that that is going to also come with consequences like punishment. So as parents, we need to be able to teach our children that it's okay to say no. But it's even more important to respect our children's no because we can like teaching them how to say no when they're in school and they're talking to their peers. But when they get back home and they say no to you, you're going to punish them. So you you make it very confusing for the child that you tell me to say no, but you're, what you're trying to tell to me is that I can only say no when I'm talking to someone that I'm much older than or but if I say no to an adult or someone that I trust then it's going to come with consequences the second one is to teach our children to respect people's properties to respect people's spaces and I think this is very applicable because I wanted to bring it down to the African setting which is what I always do when you're in Africa when you're an African, when what is your sister's property automatically belongs to you. So you can go to her room and take whatever it is that she has and put it on and say, oh, that's your sister. Now it's normal. But what that does is that it teaches people, it teaches the young ones that they do not have um, things that belong to them without having to share. It creates this lack of boundaries. And even, even if we think it's okay because that's your family, if you don't learn to ask people for permission before you touch what belongs to them, that's going to translate in other things. You're going to take people's phones and go through their text messages because you feel some form of entitlement. You're going to touch somebody because you feel like you're entitled to them. So the underlining, it can be a very simple step, like teach your children how to ask permission. But the underlining reason for that is to allow them to know that there's and um, they need to stop with their false sense of entitlement that they're just certain things that belong to other people and they do not have the right no matter how well intentioned they, they think they are so that's just two simple steps that you know parents can incorporate or even guardians can incorporate in their daily routines with their kids so yeah those are some of the steps that i put there that resonated with the people on the second one and then i want to ask Karim if those things resonate with him and and 
whether or not that's something that he's integrated into raising his children as well. Um, on the second one, what you're also saying is that by teaching them to ask permission, it also makes sure that they don't let people touch them without asking permission or don't let other people have access to their space and their property Absolutely. without having asked um, permission Absolutely. first. Okay. Karim, is that something, those two steps, uh, those two tips, are those things that resonate with you? Does I didn't really think about it, but when you you know of of course it does make a difference, especially obviously when it comes to this this type of uh, very uh, delicate subject. Obviously we have it is important to know uh, our surrounding, the mentalities that goes around it, and how to sort of tackle and prepare children uh, to sort of you know uh, be aware of a number of things, mm -hmm. you know. But I think it is important to be close to your children, to be able to talk to your children. Obviously, they don't necessarily understand what sex means as such. But it is important to, to observe their behavior and see if they start behaving, you know, in, in, in odd ways. If they start, you know, if they're not as open as they used to be. There are signs that really can tell you that you, there's, there's something that's happening, really. The, the first one also, when you talked about our ability to say no as... Or, or teaching our children to be able to say no is also linked to what you were saying earlier, Karim, around the manipulation that adults will have over children and the mind, because it starts, first of all, with twisting the poor child's mind. Don't say something. We have a secret. This is between you and I. So starting there is also what sets the stage for the child just not even understanding that they have the space or the authority to say no to somebody. Is there, Lolo, is there one around teaching your children to speak? Because that's another thing, and that's what you were saying, Karim, that children don't necessarily come back and tell you something is wrong. If somebody has violated their space, violated their privacy, or even told them, this is our secret, is there one around how we teach our children to be open and to be vocal and verbal about everything that they're seeing and they're living, especially in our societies where we tell children don't talk, especially with adults present? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question. You know, children learn more from what they see than from what you tell them. So if you want to have your child come back home and tell you about things that happen in school, it means that you have to create a safe space at home. Your child needs to know that when they get back home and they tell you everything that happens at, in school or wherever they are, that you're going to listen to them. And sometimes our kids do not know that something that happened in school uh, might have been actually inclined and has, might have been inappropriate but when they come back home because it's a safe space and they're telling you you know about their day or they're venting about something that happened as an adult you're likely to pick it up and continue to you know to dig in and probe for more for more details so the first thing is to ensure that your home is a safe space for your kids. You cannot um, watch movies with your children. And when someone has been abused, the first thing you say is, I told you, why did she go and meet that guy? She's mm. the problem. This is what happens. If something happens to your child, your child is not going to come to you because they have already noticed and observed that there's a certain narrative you have around issues um, concerning sexual abuse and consent. So the first thing is to definitely create a safe space at home. And another is to use um, learning, um, is to create um, teachable moments. Just like you said, it might be difficult for your kids to come back home and tell you exactly what happened. But teachable moments are like using movies, using songs, using pictures, 
you know, you can be reading something or you can be reading the news about a young girl who was assaulted and you use that as a moment to talk to your child, your children about that certain news. You know, that creates a space for them to have a conversation around the issue without it looking like a very big deal. Because children, again, when they get back home and they're unable to talk to their parents, they might be scared that they're making a big deal out of the issue. So when you're able to break down these issues in smaller um, concepts and an easier way for them to digest then it's easier for them to come back home and talk to you as well. Right. There's there's um, a, a, another anecdote after the two weeks with the story of the, the nine-year-old girl that I started with. I was speaking to uh, another woman that I have a working relationship with and telling her this. And this woman, she is in her late 30s now. She's got two children. And she started telling me about how her first sexual experience was rape uh, when she was a teenager over and over and over again by a cousin who was in the house. And when she went to her adoptive mother who was raising her, her aunt, her aunt, of course, said to her, uh, you're lying. How can you say this? Um, you're trying to taint the name of this man. Just shut up. So again, it created the fact that once this man continued in the house, she had nowhere to go. And as she's telling me this, she said that mm -hmm. the, um, the woman, she heard her and she's like, the, the, my adoptive mother till this day doesn't know I heard her. But she called the young man and said to him, can you be discreet about it? So she knows. And it's, it's created this mindset uh, of this young woman that she was the problem, that nobody, nobody was going to listen to her, and that she just had to suffer in silence and whatever was done to her mm -hmm. was normal. And there's so many of that. Uh, what Binta told us in the Wahalas earlier about how in some countries, 50% of women's first experience, sexual experiences were, were of without consent. And most of them are when they're children. Mm -hmm. Wow. What, what were mm -hmm. some of the, the those that were more vocal to you, some of the reactions maybe of parents that came back to you after this post that were able to, did, did people come back to you and said, yes, we've done it, we've started to have this conversation. What has happened? Absolutely. Um, one of the feedback, overwhelming feedback were from adults who said, I wish that, you know, these were the things that I experienced at home. It would have helped prevent other forms of abuse that I experienced. So it's not even about parents who went back to try it out. It's about young people who realized that these were values because everything I said, I all just value based um, um, concepts. These were values that were missing in their own childhood that made it easier for them to become victims of sexual abuse. So Parents who, every time I've done the radio interview on this topic, or parents who have read that post, they've gone back, and they've, before they even um, practice it on their kids, they have a moment of introspection where they realize that they themselves do not have those values. They themselves haven't been practicing it for themselves, for their family. So before you can go back home and teach your children how to say no and respect their no, you have to, first of all, understand what it means to be respected in your family, to be respected as a parent without fear. So I think it created a very introspective uh, moment for a lot of people that would help strengthen their um, relationship with their kids at home. So I like the, the dynamic as well. That's amazing that this is able to do yeah. something. But I, I do have to say that the work that you do, particularly online, I have seen some does not come without its own risk. Um, and I've seen mm. you've had backlashes on some of the other stories that you've put, uh, maybe on this one. And it, it's always a surprise to me that any of this could be felt so viscerally by some people. 
what are some of the, 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 the reactions that you've gotten and how do you navigate this space? Because it takes courage to continue when there's so much that doesn't want to hear the story. Uh, we're talking earlier about the, um, the protests that are happening around rape in Liberia right now, where some of the protesters were tear gassed. I mean, literally silent protesters mm-hmm. around protecting women and women's bodies that were sparked by this three-year-old's uh, rape. And people are angry. People are angry. People are tear gassing the protesters. How, how are you managing and navigating the space? Hmm. You said it takes courage. I think it also takes compassion to to navigate the space because if not, you're going to be resentful and you're going to be angry. I understand that people are already very touchy when it comes to issues around sex. Whether you've been raped before, whether you're a rapist, it doesn't even matter. It's such a taboo topic. So I understand that I'm going into this space and I'm going to get backlash. And because I know this, it makes it easier for me to show compassion, to extend grace. And even when they're in, I'm being attacked, when I'm responding, I'm responding with respect and grace to let them understand my point of view. A lot of people respond or react based out of fear. I think there is, underneath all of the craziness, underneath um, the fact that there are people who genuinely do not you know, respect women, who think that women's bodies belong to them, there's also another level of hopelessness here. Uh, a lot of people probably a lot of people who have been abused a lot of people who have seen people who have been abused feel helpless they think that the best way is to just keep quiet and keep pushing because they have like you said some people have seen that there's no help coming anywhere so when you come out and you're discussing these issues and you're bringing things back to the surface and you're trying to fight and you're trying to create awareness you are ruffling feathers whether it's a form of attack or whether it's a form of defense people are going to be triggered by the conversation so just because i know that i'm able to move with compassion another thing is some of the responses it's just again sex is the problem the problem is not the abuse the problem is the, the concept of sex like if someone murdered somebody and you're reporting on you know um the killings of women and you're trying to fight against it nobody is going to attack you because they know Absolutely. that fundamentally it is wrong some people know that fundamentally rape is wrong but the fact that it's also shrouded with sex creates um will i say nuances in their minds because now they themselves might have done something that is inappropriate and they've been trying to justify it absolutely this is one of the things that but how a lot about over 50 like 50 percent of women their first um, sexual experiences was without consent and when you go back this is because the sexual script, even what we've been told, is flawed. When they tell you the man is meant to woo the girl and the girl is meant to act like she's not really interested. If she says yes, then she's cheap. All of that sexual script comes to play. So young girls can come out and say, I wasn't interested to have sex, but I felt compelled to just give in because that was what was demanded of me. So there are certain narratives that have been pushed culturally that has become embedded into people's identities that when you're discussing around the issues of sex and sexual assault and you're ruffling feathers, it seems like you're attacking them personally. So it's really a multifaceted issue. I can handle the backlash just like, again, I just sometimes they're just really, I think it comes from ignorance and I can handle all of that. But that's just it because of I. I look at it from a point of compassion. Yeah. That's amazing. And it, like you said, it keeps you from, from being resentful and continuing to be able to do this work and do it uh, with what you 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 know and, and how you can help. And it takes back to when you talk about the narrative around sex, it takes us back to your first point around teaching your children how to say no and no to their mm-hmm. ability to say, I don't want and to mean their no. 
again, this pretense that we have of of don't accept automatically because it's also telling men that if a, a woman's no is not a real no. Yeah. Because this is the narrative that people have had over uh, over time. No, Lolo, thank you. Thank you so much for that. The last question I'll ask you is where where do you hope this will go? There's a part around the responsibility to teach children to prevent, because this is what this is about, preventing it, not just uh, dealing with it after. That's that's one aspect, but there's preventing it. There's also what our society and the culture is able to set as boundaries. Senegal recently passed on a law criminalizing rape. This is a huge step for the country. Uh, what, what do you see as a way that you want to continue to contributing to contribute to this work? Um, first is, like you said, preventive measures, not just on the victims, which is what a lot of people tend to do. Don't go to this place. You can't do that. Preventive measures more on the perpetrators for them to have a different narrative regarding sex, entitlement of people's bodies, but also like the, the criminal, the justice aspect of it, because you can teach people not to do something, but if there are no consequences for their actions, they are going to continue because they know that they are going to get away with it. So if we have um, laws who that criminalize these actions, they need to follow through. Perpetrators, rapists need to know that if you do this, you're going to be charged with this certain amount of, you know, uh, whether it's years in jail, but you have to pay the crime, pay the punishment for your crime. So that's where I really want to see. I want to see that people are being um, punished. Justice is prevailing because this would give people the voice to continue to um, demand for justice if they've been sexually assaulted and also ensure that people who rape would curb that um, action. It's just it's a very simple example. Like when you look at an African who goes to the US or travels to the West, they are not going to go and pick up a, a, an underage girl because they already know it's been drummed in their head that if you have if you if police catch you you're going back to your country so even the fear of deportation keeps people abate but when they come back to africa they go back they revert to their normal you know way of living because they know that they can get away with it so if we have stronger uh, justice systems, that's something that I know would definitely help and education so that we can prevent things from childhood and teach our teenagers as well that is is great and i'll i'll ask kareem this um as somebody who's worked with uh and seen the world of of, of perpetrators do you think prevent what are, are there preventative measures beyond the legal system beyond the fear of um of of the law from from some of the people that you have talked to that you've seen act in 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 prison do you think that's possible well, actually, it's, it's quite an interesting question. Uh, when it comes, to, when when we talk about prevention, it's, it's important to sort of think about how we can prevent offenders to reoffend, or offenders to be aware of of their crime and the consequences of their crime. Obviously, there are steps that are taken. Uh, I know that within the the British system, uh, they have what we call the sex offenders treatment program. But obviously, uh, there are communities, uh, sex offenders treatment program too. But unfortunately, uh, survey show that the results are still very, very minor. Mm. The results are not very huge. The impact that one would expect is not quite there. Mm -hmm. That's the only problem. But obviously, it's, it's, it's a start. It's yeah. better to, to try and do something and make people aware of the consequences of... Uh, to make because obviously some of the perpetrator don't are not even aware of you know of of the crime as such that what they're doing is wrong yes yeah 
um, that's that's it takes us to different aspects of this perpetrator bit, which the one thing is the law and making sure people are really aware of the consequences. The second thing is to make sure that people who have offended are actually taken through a program, hopefully to try to see even if it's minor and, and paying for their crimes. Exactly. First. And in paying for their crimes, how do you accompany the process so that if they get out of jail, that they do not reoffend again? Um, but I do want to point to this last thing before I let you go, Lolo, is the part around the narrative building. It's about how do we raise boys? How do we raise young men to not feel entitled to other people's bodies? And it's not we're, we're talking majority men here, but we know it's not only men, but that that is what the majority of, of sexual mm-hmm. offenders are. Uh, so we need to say that. But it's also about the narrative building in our African societies around. I mean, we still have child marriage. And unt- as long as we have yeah. child marriage, we are societies that are con- like valuing rape because that's exactly what it is. When you marry a 13-year-old girl to a 50-year-old man, that's sanctioning rape. And so at what point do you say the age is okay? You will have people who will see an 11-year-old and she you know, looks like she's older. So again, this is a lot of what we have to work from even our narrative in our society, how boys are raised, how young girls are raised to not feel like their body is everybody's property. And that way, hopefully, we're not only shifting our societal mindset, but we're also addressing those perpetrators that do not get away with it. And also making sure that that children understand those boundaries and those barriers that you have mentioned. I want to say thank you so much, Lolo for being on this call and, and, and for keeping uh, do, to doing the work the work that you do. And hopefully parents would have taken something from this conversation and, and start. Uh, you can find uh, a lot of the things that Lolo has talked about on her social media handles. Uh, Lolo Cynthia, uh, go there. We'll also continue as we close to give you all of her handles. Follow her, uh, check out her work, support her work. And uh, thank you, Lolo. Thank you so much, Valerie, for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Now that we've let Lolo go, I want to check in with you. Is there something specific that you're taking from this conversation? From either what she said or, or some of the earlier stats as, as we're closing off? Because I've learned a lot and there's some interesting things there. But what, what are your takeaways? Well, my takeaways is that um, I'm happy to hear and to learn that uh, we in Africa are taking this uh, this type of offenses more seriously. As, as we said, as we mentioned earlier, it's always been taboo and our society is organized in such a way that things can be hidden because obviously, as we said earlier on, you know, children are raised uh, not to, 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 to be given the opportunity to really raise their voice or uh, not given the strength to actually uh, come to adults and say, this is, this, this is wrong, it's happening to mm-hmm. me, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that we we, 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 we engaging in an opportunity to, to make children being able to, 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 to open up mm-hmm. and, and we have to trust them too because as we said, uh, reality always comes from the children's mouth. Yes. Yeah, from the children us and often unfortunately our societies try to shut that down and say and believe the perpetrator rather than children but we see change and we see that people are no longer more and more willing to accept it which is what is giving me hope we started this conversation with so much darkness in the stories that we hear so much 
uh, pain in the things that we see and sometimes we, we feel helpless and to see that there are movements that there are things that we can do the only silver lining in the story I started this show with was that after two weeks of, of trials, of trepidations, of following up, the man that raped the nine-year-old was finally arrested. He's in jail. Uh, and now with the rape law legislation in this country is likely to be in jail for a long time. But this only happened because there were people along the way that kept on checking, that kept on pushing, that did not let her do this by herself. And unfortunately, families don't have the resources to do that. So it's also, again, a reminder for us to help, a reminder for us to see. Like you said, you can pay attention to children. You see what's wrong, even if it's not your own child. What is your responsibility to, to step in there and to make sure that the system be the medical system, the justice system, the police system works to protect uh, those children. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a, a great conversation. I don't think I could have had a better co-host. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, to, to have this, this talk with not, not very many people uh, have, the, have had the access to that world that you have had. And of course, recognizing that this has affected you personally and and is affecting a lot of the people that are working in the system and working to, to, to keep the perpetrators in jails as well as to follow through and the, the psychosocial support that a lot of the families need. This has been great. I hope everybody's learned something for it. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, you can continue to listen to this show on inserviceof.org, but this is on WADR here in Dakar. It is also in uh, Nigeria on ASO Radio. It is all over the place, and it is in Ghana on Focus FM, in Liberia on Alternative Youth Radio, in the Gambia, we're on Hot FM, in Sierra Leone, African Youth Voices, and uh, in Liberia, Alternative Youth radio this has been we need to talk i sure hope that you were here and you were listening and if you have any comments things that you would like to share things that you would like to tell us send me a whatsapp at any time that you want to continue this conversation offline i'll be here for all of it i want us to keep on having this conversation do that by sending me a message on plus two two one seven six two zero one five one eight zero plus two two one seven six two zero one five one eight zero it was winnie to talk with my friend and partner kmda lolo joined us on the phone and with binta's all the wahalas as usual I do want to end this very difficult conversation with a joyful song because it takes so much courage for the people that do speak. It takes so much strength for people to step outside of their own comfort zone and to challenge the systems and the barriers that we, unfortunately, many of us have been raised with. And to do that, this is the song that I want us to sign off with. It is Waje's Strong Girl, a collaboration uh, brought together by one enjoy the song it has been real this is valerie you can follow me also on all social media platforms valerie traore t-r-a-o-r-e is the last name follow lolo talks as well thank you for listening it has been real and bye
queen, I'm a star, star. Like a freaking diva bizarre, bizarre. Us women will shining like stars, star from the bottom and rise to the top. You're wonderful, loving and strong. Nothing is stronger than a woman's worth. I'm the piece of the puzzle that's missing, baby. I can be the earth. Call me Shiva, but just come and marry my Kevin. See, we run the world. Show some love to the strong girls. Radio 94.9 FM Dakar. Get the digital feel, digital feel online. www.wadr.org. Twitter on Twitter and Instagram, Instagram. at wadr news. Online wadr.org. And on Facebook at West Africa Democracy Radio English Service. Don't miss your favorite shows and more music. Twitter and Instagram at WADR News. WADR, we are here for you. Online, on radio, WADR, everywhere. everywhere.